Hi everyone, I'm your host, Daniel Lee, and welcome to OMD Daily, a podcast about investing in people. Every Monday to Friday, I share with you what I learned the day before from studying people and companies through conversations, whether it's through interviewing investors and business leaders, to reading books and financial reports, and digesting learnings from all the other storytelling mediums out there. The goal is to build my own PhD in combining human performance with investing to figure out how I can help leaders build utopian companies. By exploring my own curiosity, I hope to become a little wiser every day and hope this adds a little nugget of learning to you on a daily basis. Hey folks, welcome back to OMD Daily. Uh, this is for the June 11th, 2020 episode. Um, it kind of crossed crossed over a little bit, so I'm actually recording this on June 12th um, because I couldn't finish as much of the work I wanted to <laughs> yesterday, but I did a good chunk of it and I just want to continue and talk about the company I looked into. So yeah, so I guess you, if you got tired of all the book reviews, um, then this will be a nice change of pace. So the company I looked at to, for this interview, um, or this episode, sorry, is Wix.com, so it's W-I-X. It, if you're not familiar with Wix, um, you might be familiar with some of their competitors like Squarespace, WordPress, uh, Weebly. So if you know them, you know that this is a website building company. So that's kind of what Wix's business model is. They're a cloud-based uh, platform that helps people build websites, host websites, design websites. There's everything to do with it. Um, it's, it kind of started off being catered towards people like myself who are not tech savvy, who are not technical, and you know just don't want to learn or use kind of HTML <laughs> to code their own website. And it's just this easy way to just set stuff up, um, drag and drop, put in you know, all these widgets, um, blocks, and make your make your website in a very simple and easy way, pretty quick. And what make, makes uh, Wix different is that they, I think, are a freemium model. Well, there are other companies that are freemium models as well, but uh, I personally use Squarespace, and Squarespace isn't a freemium model. They, you only get like a 14-day trial, and you end up becoming a premium subscriber automatically to continuously use it. But Wix has uh, two options where you can actually use it for free, which is what about 160 million of their users currently do. Um, and I guess about four and a half million of the 160 are premium subscribers. So they actually pay uh, monthly, yearly, multi-year fees all in kind of different tiers based on the different kind of value, um, value prop, various product verticals you get access to. But yeah, so that's kind of a overview of the company itself. So like always, I'll kind of go, I'm using the Phil Fisher 15-point checklist as a foundation. Um, I haven't really decided if I want to move off of that yet. Um, constantly still testing, thinking about, it's just a good way for me to kind of think about companies and it also makes me realize things I've missed that I should probably look into further if I'm excited about the business. But it's always a nice kind of first pass look as like a checklist to see is this worth even looking deeper into. So I'm not going to talk about all 15 uh, in this episode. Um, I, I will have a link to the full report I write up with the answers to all uh, 15 points on my website at omdventures.com. It's also in the show notes for this uh, episode you can find it at omdventures.com slash omddaily and so today i'll just kind of talk about some i think key parts of the business that i just wanted to highlight that i thought were interesting that might be fun for you to know about so the first 
uh, checklist item is always like the main one where Fisher always asks, does the company have products or services with sufficient market potential to make possible a sizable increase in sales for at least several years? For me, this is a lot of different questions, right? It's kind of, for me, it's important to know what the history of the business is, what it does, who its competitors are, what the market uh, share of the business is, and just the industry in general. So that's kind of the full encom- encompassing uh, thing. And so generally, as yeah, so history-wise, Wix was founded in 2006, and it was co-founded by three uh, individuals. Um, it was founded in Tel Aviv, Israel, which is where the HQ is based in. And it IPO'd in 2013. So Wix's founding story is pretty neat. It's literally entrepreneurs scratching their own itch. So the three co-founders, um, one was the one is its current CEO, Avishai Abrahami, and the second is his brother. Um, I think it was Nadav Abrahami, and then the third person is Gig Kaplan who is the current CTO. Um, I believe Nadav is the chief architect. I have it literally in my notes, but I'm just trying to go off it from memory. And so those three start, uh, founded Wix together in 2006. It came out as a result because they were uh, building a different startup idea and they were building this website. And it was just such a costly and frustrating and difficult experience that they just got so tired of it. And they created Wix as a way to solve their own issue. And that's when the idea, I think, led to the pivot for them to start thinking about building this company. Um, I'm going to go down to the second point I had where I believe, like, I want to talk about the mission of the company because I thought that was pretty unique too. Um, Hold on a second for me. I have to find what he says the mission is. Oh, yeah. So... According to the management team, Wix's mission, quote-unquote, is to empower anyone to create their own website with no coding or design skills needed. And that kind of, that's kind of you know what their target audience really is as well, people like me. And that also means that their customer base is more geared towards the small-medium businesses and individual creators as well. Uh, Wix, Wix's business segments are disclosed as two... Um, two different ones so there's one segment that is the creative subscriptions side and then one is the business solutions it can be a little deceiving um, because they split it out into two segments but um, overall about 95 percent of their revenue is subscription based although one bit you know one segment is called creative subscriptions the other is called business solutions so creative subscriptions makes up about 85 percent of total sales and that's the kind of classic um you know, subscription model just to get the website running. Um, like it's just like how I pay Squarespace two hundred dollars a year just to have my website hosted, running, and everything. <laughs> um, and so that's kind of what encompasses the creative subscription business segment. The business solutions, which makes up fifteen percent of the sales, it's it's a mix of various products. So it includes various things like um, Wix's own. Uh, product lines like Wix Payments, which does like the e-commerce side and kind of payment processing. It's kind of like Stripe, I think, but for Wix internally, um, it has a, the Ascend product, which is kind of more the marketing services. Like I think it has like chatbots, they have Mailchimp integrations. They also have their own Wix Marketplace, which is like an app store where third-party people can sell their apps, plugins. Um, they can develop their own as well. 
uh, it's kind of like I think how like WordPress has their own like huge library of plugins as well. And there's also other stuff like um, other third-party integrations like the G- Gmail G Suite, you know, integration. Um, that's something I separately have with Squarespace as well. And so this is all part of the business solutions side. And you can understand why it's a little misleading because a lot of these products are part, they're also subscription-based revenue as well because you'll get them on top of your premium subscription, right? So it's kind of all the nice stuff that people will slowly tag on and add on to. Um, but yeah, so those are the two main business segments for the uh, for the company. But entirely what it really does is they help you build websites <laughs> and they're just like a cloud-based platform to help you do that. Um, f- for me, this was like, so... You might wonder, like, why am I using Squarespace and not talking about Squarespace but talking about Wix? Well, one is because Squarespace is not a public company, but Wix is. Um, but the other is that I didn't know what Wix was when I was first looking for a website builder. I, When I was building OMD Ventures, like, the very first version, it was called 56 Perspectives. And, or it's called 56 Perspectives, actually. And I started with WordPress. And then I went to Squarespace, and then I went to Blogger, the one owned by Google. Or no, is it Blogger or Blogspot? I might have been Blogspot. I forget. Um, there was a third one. And then I went back to WordPress, and then I went back to Squarespace, which is where the current platform's been for the last nearly two years or so. Um, but all that time, Wix never really came up. Um, I, I think for me, it's because um, I was a fan of Automatic, um, the parent company that owns WordPress that's why I wanted to use WordPress but it was too hard for me and I it just it was just not a great experience I think the learning curve was way too steep like what I liked is I would have ownership of everything but it just made things too difficult like I didn't want to spend so much time learning on how to use it uh and Squarespace you know they just had so many advertisings on all the podcasts so you know I'm one of those people that they won over because of uh the advertising but it was also just very easy to implement and their themes, like the design themes that they have were just, it, it was just so much nicer. It, was, it just looked so much more professional than the kind of options I had at WordPress. Um, and that's kind of the highlight for Squarespace. I think Squarespace is designed to create websites for creators and kind of more um, media and design friendly stuff. Whereas Wix seems to be the more overall generalized website builder because they have so many different verticals that they service like they have restaurants bookings music um fitness and it just the list just goes on so wix doesn't target a specific vertical um like they don't do specifically e-commerce like shopify does but it's more an overall website builder for just about anyone that's just looking to set one up in the easiest and fastest possible way so that's kind of what the company does how it makes money um let's see so in talking about the market, um, this was this was a little tricky, and it was actually Wix doesn't really explain it well in their annual report, and so it took me a lot of time of digging around to figure out how to look at things because I know WordPress uh, su- supposedly, quote unquote, powers about thirty seven percent of the websites um, in the world. But when I looked at trying to identify market share, um, a lot of various sources um, quote this kind of chart that I have in the report where it seems that WordPress um, has about a 65%, yeah, 63% market share um, in this content management systems market. So 
this is where it gets a little confusing. Like, um, it seems that all website com- website builder website related com- service companies are grouped into this larger market called the content management system, CMS as they call it. And CMS includes any kind of company or service that allows you to, um, I guess, have a website without needing to code something. And so WordPress fits that definition, um, although they have, I think, a different business model entirely from Wix, which I'll kind of get to later. Um, But yeah, so this market includes WordPress, it includes Shopify, Magento, Squarespace, Wix, Weebly, um, what else would you guys, you know, like GoDaddy website builder, uh, Adobe Dreamweaver, Blogger. So all these Joomla, Drupal, all these websites are, or companies are part of this market, quote unquote. And in that market, Squarespace and Wix, which I think are the two kind of unique, um, simple, like, or kind of baseline website builders, quote unquote, they each have about a two and a half percent market share uh, in this market with kind of WordPress is dominating everything and Shopify has something like a 4% market share there. And I think this just looks at just a total web world of identified solutions. So it doesn't include any websites that um, were kind of hard coded by someone. And so, yeah, so this that's why I think that's why it's called the content management systems uh, market share because if, for example, your coder friend coded a website, that website wouldn't be part of this data set. Um, so it can be a little misleading in that way. But yeah, like even for me, I was like, okay, well, does Wix really compete with Shopify? Does it really compete with, with WordPress? Because I don't think it does. Like, I don't think anyone really goes to Wix to, you know, start an e-commerce page, for example. Same for Squarespace. Like they all have these options and features. Um, but I think it brings in a different audience um, because I think if you ever end up studying Shopify or if I end up sharing it, like the way they classify their market share is also very different because they com- they compete amongst e-commerce um, platforms. Like I would say Magento and Shopify are actual competitors because they provide, I believe, um, very e-commerce specific verticals. So if I wanted to kind of think about, okay, then what market would, Wix competed and other people have thought about this already. And so they call it the simple website builder market. And it's kind of the, um, so this, the way Wix is different or and Squarespace um, would be different from WordPress is that Wix and Squarespace are like sites where you just pay um, a subscription and they kind of take care of all the backend stuff for you. Like they take care of hosting, they, um, take care of all like the basic themes, designs, and you can just kind of build things out. WordPress isn't like that. WordPress, you have to find your own host. So you have to self-host everything. So, um, and even for your domain name, I believe you have to get it yourself. Um, and WordPress also has kind of a free platform on top of it. I think that's the difference between WordPress.com and WordPress.org. But the business model is slightly different in that manner. Like WordPress is more so platform that just allows people to go in and kind of customize and build and kind of add in different plugins and buy things from the marketplace and build a website that way whereas Squarespace and Wix are completely more so I don't want to say we're vertically integrated but it's more everything's there on that singular platform and everything um, you have like you have access to everything there on that website alone and 
So that's why it's called the simple website builder. And so in that market, um, the really big players are kind of identified as um, Wix, Squarespace, GoDaddy, and Weebly. Those are the four players. And if we look at the total number of um, websites that are under each of the four companies, Wix would have about a 37% market share, and Squarespace has about 21%, GoDaddy has about 11%, and Weebly, which is owned by Square, has about 9%. So that's the kind of market that I'd say Wix is actually playing in. But what is interesting is that um, Wix started out in the beginner market, where it's targeting these SMBs and individuals who have very novice, beginner, technical skill sets. And they've been slowly building out products um, on top, kind of like a stack. So they started with Wix ADI, which is like the really basic, easy one for everyone, like the drag and drop system. And then they have Wix Editor, which is kind of for the intermediate user. You can kind of get a little more fancy with it. And then they have Corvid, which is kind of this whole developer platform. So you can actually code things in for the more advanced users. And so they're kind of slowly trying to move up market to target the more advanced, um, I guess, more advanced users. And so this also shifts their market base too, because the beginner market is kind of known as the DIY market, the do-it-yourself people. Um, and they kind of are not as sophisticated at times, I think on most cases. Um, but when Wix moves up market, they are now touching the do it for me market, which is where they have professional developers and people who will make a lot of websites for companies and just, you know, all their clients and stuff. So the business itself is about web development. And that's kind of the kind of world, world that WordPress is currently in. And so it's a much bigger market. And Wix is using the approach of slowly growing into a much larger market that is much more complex. So that, I think, is an interesting um, view on the company itself, which is different from its competitors. Even on the market size, I'm not sure how big that CMS market actually is. Like I've looked at a bunch of different sites that talk about how like some estimates say it's a $6 billion market, some estimates say it's a $12 billion market. It all just seems so small considering there's 1.7 billion websites out there right now. Um, and comparatively, I think there's only said to be like 10 million um, websites that are run by these simple, what do you call it? simple website builders. So yeah, I'm not I'm not sure how all that works. Actually, I might have the number wrong, hold on. I'm kind of all over the place today. Forgive me on that. Um, yeah, that's what it says here, 10 million websites. So yeah, I'm not sure. Anywho, I'm going back to my notes. Okay, so yeah, that's the kind of web um, market size for the market that the company competes in. So if I consider that uh, and I look at the kind of past numbers, so Wix currently has 165 uh, million registered users. So users are people that can build a free website, but um, you know, they might have built a website or they might have not built a website. They might just have an account like, they're all people that are mainly on the free free uh, platform. And out of the 165, they have the 4.5 million that are the premium subscribers. So they're actually people that pay um, and they have a website. They use very different services. And 
Wix currently in 2019 had, so there's, so this is another nuance of the company. Their sales number comes out to something like 700 million, I think it was. Um, but their collections number is around 830 million. So the difference here is a matter of revenue recognition. So Wix has all these contracts that are multi-year, yearly, monthly. And the way they recognize revenue is that for, especially like multi-year ones, um, they will recognize it over time. So you get the payment up front. So you've collected the money of like, let's say $500 for three years worth. Um, but it's recognized throughout like, like the three-year period. I'm just giving you an example. Um, and so the, your, rec- your revenue number will actually look a little slower than your the actual cash amount that you actually collected. So you'll have these long-term deferred revenues um, in your liability side of your uh, balance sheet. So you make a little adjustment there. And so I think the collections is a more accurate representation on a cash basis of what their sales actually are. So on that basis, I'll... Going forward, I'm going to be talking about everything in relation to collections. If I say sales, I'm talking about collections. But yeah, so Wix has somewhere around like $830 million uh, in collections. Um, so that's off of 4.5 million premium subscribers, which gives you about a average revenue per subscriber of about 185. And I think this number... I feel, so as I was thinking about this number, I was trying to think, like, is it a, would I want it to go up or go down? Obviously, I think I want it to go up, but if I saw it ever go down, it could also indicate that people are get, there could be higher retention because more people are doing these multi-year um, plans and those tend to be at a discount all the time. So you will actually have a lower uh, ARPS if more people go on to have multi-year contracts, which 84% of their subscribers are on yearly or multi-year contracts. Um, and ideally, I think, as a company, you would prefer to have more people go on multi-year contracts so then you get more cash up front and then you can reinvest all that money uh, at a more rapid pace and without needing to ever get any uh, financing as well. So I, I think in the short term, I would prefer to see this number go down as a result of more people becoming um, multi-year subscribers. But that's also assuming that um, Wix isn't adding more tiers and more value that people kind of, I guess, upgrade their subscription. Like, for example, for me, I upgrade my subscription tier in Squarespace as I want more different kinds of services, like getting a Gmail suite uh, access as well. So I think that's something, it's, it's just something that I can't look at as a black and white, whether when it goes down saying, oh, that's bad, when it goes up saying, oh, that's good. I think those are definitely things to consider. Um, it's like the similar experience with Spotify as well, where their ARPU kept on going down, and that was a result of um, more people coming on family plans and um, student plans, which if it does increase subscribers, uh, subscriber numbers, but yeah, the average revenue per uh, subscriber does go down as a result. Um, but it's not necessarily always a bad thing that that's happening. Anyhow, that's something I just wanted to talk about um, for the business. But yeah, answer, answering the main question um, of the checklist, which is, is there sufficient market potential to make possible a sizable increase in sales for at least several years? Well, like I said, it might also be that I don't have a full great grasp on the market, but I, I think the crucial question that I had to ask is, will there be more websites 
you know, 10 years from now than there currently is? And I think the answer is yes. I think we are in a world where personal branding will become more and more important. And if I if I look at our world right now, like, you know, trying to see the present clearly, I think everyone, um, like, more people than not will set up a website, even just out of curiosity. And so that'll just, that could just be a free user. Um, but the more free users that Wix gets, the more data that they get. And it's kind of in that realm where high churn could actually be really good because you're getting a more rapid set of data sets to continuously turn over so you can constantly test more things. And... But if, yeah, if I think about their ability to generate more sales, yeah, I think there's comp- definitely huge market potential for that. Um, they only have some 2%, 2.5% of the whole content management systems market, which is a huge market. And in their kind of small niche of the simple website builders, they are the biggest player. And I think what's u- unique is how in the overall content management systems market that the simple website building is such a small component. I think that's the big thing as I think about it is that Squarespace and Wix only seem to make up 5% of the content management systems world. Um, but I I think as technology gets you know more developed and it just allows more people to you know build websites, it's just technology is all about lowering barriers, right? So as that progresses further, I'd imagine that more people will build websites, more companies will, you know, have websites, um, people will make more careers out of designing and building websites on top of such platforms. Like I know, for example, all my knowledge for Squarespace website building comes from people whose day jobs are as kind of like website developers and consultants on top of Squarespace. So I think that kind of ecosystem is developing. And I think long term, this is going to help continuously push the trend forward. I think if we look at the Kagers of the last five years, Wix's uh, users have grown 20%, 21%. Um, their premium subscribers have grown 26%. Their collections has grown 36%. Um, I don't know if that'll persist at the same rate, but I don't imagine it actually being that much lower. I just I think as more people decide to come online, more companies come online, as we see a trend of seeing massive hegemonies of companies, uh, so like the mega fangs kind of becoming greater aggregators and a longer tail of small businesses and large number of SMBs. I think there definitely is a case to be made that the market potential is pretty big um, for Wix. So that was just kind of my thoughts on the first question. Um, I am aware that we're already near the 30 minute mark. I think I kind of rambled too much. I apologize for that. It's some, It's just something I do, you know, it's just... But point one is kind of where a lot of the meat of the business is anyways. Um, I'll talk about management. It, this, it, this one encompasses a multitude of the points um, that Fisher has kind of on is management mission-driven. Are they going to stay? Are they focused on developing the product? Do they have integrity? Do they have depth? So I'll talk about management because this is super important for me. Um, so one of the things that interests me about Wix um, was on the product side, that it's a business that enables human creativity to flourish and going on the theme of, of investing in people, I think Wix is a kind of company that allow, that creates a product that allows for the investment of people, you know, because it allows creators to build companies and, you know, share, share their ideas. Um, but what was also interesting is how the company is based out of Israel. 
And I think this kind of plays into the culture side of the company where I think it's really, there's something unique about companies like Atlassian that is based out in Australia, uh, Spotify, which is based out in Sweden, um, Shopify, which is based out in Canada. And if we get even more specific, like Atlassian's in Sydney, um, Shopify's in Ottawa, Spotify's in Stockholm, and their HQs, like the headquarters are all based in those various cities. And I think that creates a very unique um, advantage on talent and culture because you're not, it's kind of like how you know, there's a lot of great hedge funds that are and hedge fund managers who are not based out in, of New York and Wall Street because you are away from all the noise and the distraction um, in that physical location. And I think that can be said the same way for companies as well. Um, some investors talk about how they'll always invest in companies that come out of Minnesota because companies from there seem to be undistracted. Like I think 3M, Ecolab are from Minnesota. And I think for tech companies, when you're com- as far away from possible as from Silicon Valley, although they might have satellite offices um, or just smaller offices in San Francisco or New York, the fact that their headquarters is based in a completely different location gives them this access to this huge talent pool. Um, so I think that creates a huge advantage on the talent front and on the culture front too, because you can be this giant player that kind of has a first pass look at all the top talent in that particular geography. Because let's face it, not everyone wants to live in San Francisco. Like most of my friends in San Francisco uh, who are in FANGs companies are working hard to get, um, what is that? Uh, what do you call that? Relocated, yeah, relocated away from San Francisco because most people I know don't actually like living there. And it's not that San Francisco has the best engineers. It's just all the best people just went there because all the companies were there. But when you have these big and um, I guess these big quote-unquote tech companies that have great cultures and that are on a mission to make the world a better place, they attract talent in their local areas and they have this unfair advantage in that point. So I think that's something very unique about how Wix that drew me to look into the company as well. And then there's, and then that got me looking deeper into the founders. So I'll kind of talk more about the management team a little more. Um, so I told you about the story of how Wix was born and in one way, it's kind of like a family uh, operation because the CEO and the VP of client development are both co-founders and they're also brothers. And their third brother, Yoav, um, is the chief architect of R&D. Um, and then the COO and the VP of design are a married uh, couple. So it seems like there's a bit of a family kind of business as well. Like that's what the CFO uh, of Wix said as well. He said how he feels the company is like a family and he even said that even if someone were to offer him $100 million, he wouldn't leave the company. So that's a pretty good sign that management is um, willing to stay with the company for a long period of time. And it makes me think that because it's there is a bit of a mission-driven element that I could see the management stay, um, you know, kind of make this kind of their, the rest of their life kind of deal. Although something that gives me pause is the lack of insider ownership. Um, the total, all executives and directors combined, like 12 people, only account for about 7.6% ownership of the business. And the CEO and co-founder, Avishai uh, Abrami, he has 3.6% of um, ownership. Although I think about a third of his shares are based are outstanding options. 
So that also makes you think that a lot of the other executives, a lot of their ownership um, is on an options basis as well. Mm. So that hasn't been exercised. So yeah, overall, mm, not ideal. I, I just kind of hoped more insider ownership given how they've kind of built this operation like a family and um, you know a lot of the people in the executive team uh, have been with the company for 10 plus years. I, I was just hoping a greater number of insider ownership which also makes me wonder um, if they've just been continuously selling out their ownership. Um, when I look at the insider buying and selling, the CEO has been, not every time he exercises the shares, he does sell some off. So on that front, yeah, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just not as confident on their, that the fact that they'll stay there for like 10, 20, 30 years. Like the entire C-suite is pretty young. I'd say everyone's in their kind of um, late forties on average, like, late 40s, early 50s, that kind of deal. So I think people, um, you know, they'll still have the energy to build a company um, just on like a physical front. So I think all of that's positive. But yeah, I think that was something that um, bothered me a little. I was excited to see Diane Green, the found- the co-founder of VMware, uh, VMware, on the board of directors. So she recently joined the board and VMware is, you know, a key company in the cloud and cloud world and to see her on was a pretty good sign but she came on as a result of the cto and co-founder um gig kaplan stepping down which didn't get much uh coverage um there was no mention of it in the shareholder letters it just barely talks about it in the annual report just saying how they got dying green because their cto was stepping down um who's been with the company since its founding and there's no news articles on that either. And I checked the transcripts and no one's talking about that. So that's a bit of a red flag for me. I don't know why he's stepping down. Um, like, I'm a little concerned about that. Um, yeah, so that's something I think I kind of flagged uh, that requires further research. And I don't know, like, maybe I'll email IR and ask him why he's stepping down if I want to look further into it. And yeah, so if I think about the overall side of management, and I started looking at the compensation. Um, I think it's all reasonable. Like the C-suite, everyone gets paid on average around $300,000 USD, uh, which I think is a pretty reasonable amount for a salary for, you know, a $10 billion company. And although, you know, the, the $10 billion is a result of a recent pump up in the stock price. But even back then, you know, if, when, if it was a $5 billion company, a $300,000 salary, I think is pretty reasonable. Um their bonuses are all um, just like four-year uh, options, options that fest in four years. And I believe the CEO got the most. He got about $2 million worth of equity options. Um, and everyone else gets around approximately like $1.3 million. And that too, like I think overall total compensation-wise, it's all under $3 million for each person. And I thought that was pretty reasonable. Although... Yeah, like I just, I personally don't like seeing someone with insider ownership um, constantly get compensated with stock options. I just don't, I just don't see that as being necessary. Um, so that's also something that's just not the best, but we'll have to see going forward. But yeah, that's something else I wanted to note. What else? Yeah, I think that was just kind of my overall impression of management. Like, it's, it's, it's good that you see all these good stuff and there's also stuff that's kind of like, ah, I don't know, like 
it's just not ideal but you know that's just how most companies are it's just so hard to find the perfect one and maybe that's why it's just so hard to you know actually have a stock portfolio of just all the wonderful businesses and yeah i think in terms of one, one thing i actually did like um reading from, about reading from the uh, letter to shareholders was how the company chose not to do any price hikes during this COVID time um, for all the kind of renewals that were coming up. So something to note, though, is that they do price hike. So they do seem to have some pricing power since they seem to be increasing prices every so often whenever a new uh, renewal period comes up. But they talked about how they are stopping to, uh, they're not doing that um, to help with like the whole COVID situation, which I thought they didn't have to do, but they were doing. And so that's kind of, it showed a bit of integrity on the management side. Um, and let's see i'll move on to some i'm gonna try to skip some not so important things um i think a big part is reinvestment can the company reinvest and just kind of talking about their uh competitive advantage component um this is kind of lumping in uh checklist items three all the way to like maybe seven (laughs) i'll just kind of provide the high level so on the competitive advantage side i think it's it's just very straightforward for wix where um, I think that there's a bit of a brand element. Um, if you're going to build a website and you're going to pay someone um, as a premium subscriber, you want to go with someone that you can trust. And there's only a handful of really brand names out there for building websites. There's Squarespace, there's Wix, there's WordPress. Really, I think those are the three big names that always seem to pop up. And despite WordPress being a little different, I think those three always pop up um, in most comparison sites, even when I compare And I think the power of Wix's brand is evident in that they don't actually have a sales force that actively sells um, their website builder to people. Apparently, a majority of their traffic actually comes organically from free sources um, using like SEOs, like they come from search engines like Google and or sometimes directly to the website at Wix.com. So I think that speaks pretty heavily to the power of their brand that people just come directly to them. Um, and also when I look at very, so I went back, looked at a bunch of different website review, reviewing sites and most of them rank Wix as overall the best website builder, um, but they're always in like a one, two race with themselves and Squarespace. So I think after kind of looking at about five, six different, uh, review sites, I think that for me is a pretty positive indicator of how good their product is um, for their consumer base. And because generally when I built my own, when I did my website, I did, I looked at a couple of those sites as well. And so I think those kinds of referrals are extremely powerful for generating the organic traffic. And so there's a brand side. And I think there's also the classic switching costs. Um, I guess the switching cost kind of works in tandem with this adoption thing that I think is extremely powerful that Wix is doing because of their freemium model, because I think when you cho- when you choose to like buy a product, um, especially a subscription-based one, it's really important for people to test it out and use it. And that's why a lot of companies have chosen to do the freemium model. Like, you know, uh, clear examples like Spotify, where you have the free model, and then people who like it can choose to move on to the premium version, which is what Wix provides. So if you want to build a website, you can try it out and see if you like it. And then over time, you can transition over. And Wix has noted that somewhere about like half of their premium subscribers tend to come from the free uh, user base. So I think that's a very great way for people to have this kind of really low barrier for adoption where um, you can just go on, immediately try it out, 
and see if you want to do it compared to Squarespace where you have to do this 14-day trial and after that's done, that's all you get. And so not many people, I think, will actively go hardcore for 14 days and be like and be able to make a decision. I think some people, it's a more granular process. I mean, not granular, but it's a more kind of drawn-out process. Um, so I think that adoption uh, lag or kind of this phase way of adoption allows for greater stickiness um, because... Generally, people think, oh, yeah, subscription-based stuff, it's going to be sticky, um, it's recurring. But that's not the case, I think, if you have to start out with subscriptions because you might just immediately do it and then immediately cancel it. So then you'll have extremely high churn, but you might not really know why that's the case. It just means that people just weren't bought in to begin with. But this way, uh, Wix allows people to buy in slowly. And after they become premium subscribers, Wix, I think, I think they generally see like, retention is probably like their mid 90s they don't actually share that but i'm guessing that to be the case because um the the rate of increase of premium subscribers is faster than that of the free user base um and you know that number keeps on increasing so i'm just but you know i don't think it's possible that retention is 100 <laughs> percent. so i think a mid 90s is like a fair guess um of the retention rate and generally the product itself like what it does is it allows you to have a website. Most businesses need to have a website nowadays pre-sales. Like you need a website so that people can come and like kind of learn about your product and then you can generate a sale. Or you use it as an information tool um, as part of a conversation to lead to a sale or even as a personal branding thing. So I think um, for like, you know, $185, $200 a year, it's a pretty low cost for the user to have something that's very crucial to what they're doing. And it's not something that people probably cut the cost of, um, like cut out completely, because you also build, the more you use it, the more you actually build stuff into it, um, especially for like content-based or like blogging-based stuff where you continuously add things. So I think the more people use it, the more stickier it becomes, um, the more they'll more likely not go away from it. And it's at a lower cost base than its competitors. Like Wix has many more tiers um, of premium subscription with various features available and those have the free model. So I think it just makes it much easier for consumers to go in and slowly um, evolve their co- their cost. And so they'll slowly get the higher plans as their business grows. And so I think that kind of leads to a much stickier product as well. So overall, I say those are like the key factors um, that make Wix make up Wix's I'd say like competitive advantage and if I think about their R&D side um, of continuous improvement I think uh, I think it was like more than 50% of their total of their employees are in the R&D engineering team and about 30% of their collections are spent uh, investing in R&D and about 90% of that's all just salaries for people um, including all the stock-based compensation and it you know I think if we used retention um, and the fact that they don't really have a sales team, but their sales have been con- sales and number of premium subscribers have continuously been compounding for more than twenty percent, is um, an indication of how good their product is. I think then you know we know that their investment in R and D is relatively pretty decent. Anybody even try to quantify it? So I try to pull out all the R&D numbers and capitalized over a four-year period since all their stock options vest over four years for all their employees. And obviously the R&D employees get um, about 50% of the stock option allocation. So 
I get I get somewhere around like a return on capital employed of about like a fifty percent uh, mark. I think that was the number. So overall, I think that's a pretty solid sign. Like these are not kind of hard coded numbers to say like this is exactly what it is. But um, based on how I like to look at companies, I think this is a pretty high returning business. I think the R and D has been pretty effective in generating um, a solid product. And yeah, I think even the fact that a lot of their sales actually comes from organic traffic is extremely positive. So then it, it does it means that they don't really have to you know toss out money uh, wastefully. And so I'll kind of conclude this with just kind of thoughts on what this company could be uh, ten years down the line. Because um, I think like the the great question that you, at least I think that you need to ask for a company is yeah like what can this business if we're going to invest in it, like, can it be 10 times what it is today? Like, what does it look like if it's 10 times uh, what it is today? And right now, at its current base, I get something like a 4% free cash flow yield um, just based on how I calculate owner's earnings. And so you have this business that has something like a 13 times price to sales on a multiple basis. It has gross margins between 70 to 85, 75 to 85% um, consistently. Um, it's returning easily. It could return... 50% uh, return on capital and what would this what would it look like if this company to 10x in size well if Wix were to 10x then currently it's a hundred billion dollars it's about a hundred currently it's about a 10 it's, it's about an 11 billion dollar company so 11 billion dollar company taxes becomes a 110 billion dollar company um if we assume that the average revenue per subscriber stayed constant at about $185 and the sales multiple, let's say it just stayed constant because, you know, 13x, it's not, it's not amazingly, like it's not outrageously high, but it's also not low. <laughs> um, and if we consider that, then we're looking at, you know, an annual collection of about $8.5 billion. Um, I would need to see about 44 45 million premium subscribers and so that would be what the company would look like if it was 10 you know if it grew 10 10x uh in market cap with all these kinds of assumptions so 45 million premium subscribers currently there are 1.7 billion websites out there um so I could easily say that there's there just seems to be plenty of room um, for Wix to grow into like 10x its size. I know 100, 110, 100 billion dollar company is not a uh, you know small fee. I, I know it's a huge deal, but they already have 160 million uh, users um, on the platform. They have 4.5 million that are premium subscribers. For them to 10x, they would need to compound at you know some twenty percent rate for the next ten years, uh, like twenty twenty four percent. I I just I think it's actually pretty viable. It doesn't seem outrageous to me. It it, it might just be that I'm a dangerously optimistic person, but by twenty thirty. I would imagine there's just so many more people with websites. I would imagine there'd be so many more businesses than there are now. I'll imagine there'd be so many more people on the internet. Um, I'd imagine people would have more time to pursue creative endeavors. 
Um, and there's also the various elements that Wix can up their annual revenue um, per subscriber by continuously adding out more products. I mean, right now they only have some 2.5% of the content management systems universe. And that's not even the content management systems universe doesn't even include all the other websites that, you know, are built by unknown solutions as they're called. So yeah, I think I think the market itself is just so vast um, that it seems very possible. And I also feel that um, there definitely would be some aggregation or sorry, consolidation. I don't know from which players. I also think that um, overall, Wix would move higher into the market, into the do it for me world. Um, yeah, I think that's all very possible. So I think 10x like it just it just doesn't seem outrageous to me. I think the market is there to support a company like that is what I'm saying. But yeah, we'll see. Overall, yeah, that's my kind of look on Wix. Um, that's the kind of company it is. Uh, this was a first pass look at it. So don't take anything with a grain of salt. Like I only read the annual reports, read a couple articles, um, the proxy statements and the presentation and just kind of very high level look at the company. But if you want to read more about it, um, check out the report I have. And yeah, hope this was interesting. Hope this was insightful. And Hope to uh, have you back on the podcast soon. All right, take care.